Thank you, Lord. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Turn to your neighbor and say, run your race. Mm. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Acts chapter, uh, ooh, I'm jumping to the book of Acts. That's not in my notes. Luke chapter 22, reading verses 31 and 32, very familiar passage of scripture. But it says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Mm, Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray that your faith Fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. We thank you for what we feel in this house, oh God. We thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your people, God. Lord God, I find it an honor and a privilege to be here, God, to to speak your word unto your people, God. And I just pray that you would have your way in these next moments, Lord. Lord God, use me the way that you want to. Speak through me the way that you want to, God. I don't want to be a hindrance, Lord. You can remove me out of the equation, Lord, but speak what you've placed upon my heart through me, Lord. God, I'm praying that somebody leave encouraged Somebody leave with the tools, Lord God, necessary to run this race successfully, God. That somebody's life would be changed and somebody would be transformed. If you believe it, go ahead, say amen. Amen. I want to talk to you on this topic. Say, running my race. Turn to your neighbor, say, it's my race. Turn to your second neighbor. Tell him it's my race. I'm running my race. And as a subtopic, fortitude. Mm, Hallelujah. We'll talk about it in a little bit. I'm going to start off with a little bit of a story. Maybe I'm not quite the same runner as Sister Odom. Uh, He said two miles more than what he wants to run. It's probably three miles more than what I want to run. But but as I was as I was praying, God brought me back to, to a time when I was in high school, and it was between my junior and my senior year. 
And I was at this uh, Adidas uh, Invitational Basketball Camp. And every morning, they would wake us up at 4.30, and they'd bring us to the track. And they'd line us up. You think about it, it's probably uh, 60 uh, teenage boys lined up on the track at 4.30 in the morning, and they have us marching. And they have us marching. And one day, we're, we're marching, and, and we're, we're trying to march in a, in a particular cadence. Uh, and then the next morning, he's got, they, they have us running in, in pairs, and we're running, uh, we're running one lap and two lap and three laps. And they're trying to give us an idea of what it's going to be like to be a, a student athlete. If we were to make it into uh, uh, to play college basketball, what are some of the things that were going to be required of us? And I remember it was like the second to last day of the camp. They brought us to the track, and I thought it was going to be business as usual, that we were going to get out there, we were going to do our little exercises, we were going to do our stretches, and we were going to run, but at a slow pace. And then they lined us all up, and they said, today is going to be a little bit different. And they called names, and they said, Chris, uh, Chris Alsop. Uh, I remember the guy next to me, his name was Chris Kuhn. He was from Omaha, Nebraska. He was about six foot four, 215 pounds. You could tell he was just an athlete. And they, they tell us to line up and they say, you guys are going to run the 400 meter dash. Now I've never run the 400 meters, but at the time I knew I was in pretty good shape. I knew I, I had a little bit of speed to me. I knew I was quick. What I also learned along the way is my buddy Chris that was in the next lane for me was the Omaha state champion in the 400. And I looked over and I said, man, he looks athletic. He's got longer legs. He's got, he's going to have the stride on me, but, but I'm going to beat him anyway. So I lined up next to him and I'm checking him out and I'm, I'm getting ready to run my race. And I, I take off and I start running as fast as I can. I'm out the blocks and I'm running and I'm looking to the left and I'm looking to the right and there's nobody there. I'm like, I got this. I'm running. I'm running. I hit the first turn. I'm running. I'm looking around. Nobody's next to me. I hit the second turn. I'm doing good. I'm feeling energized. I hit that third turn. I'm still in the, in, I'm still in the lead. I'm feeling really good. I hit that last turn and my body says, Mm-mm, you're not going anywhere else. And my body begins to, 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 to respond, and I feel my legs tightening up. I feel, I feel my body shutting down, and I start to, to get frantic because I knew I was in the lead at one point. But as I looked to the left and I looked to the right, I saw these, these young men running by me. They ran by me. I ended up taking last place. I limped, I limped across the line. But I learned a valuable lesson. I learned a lesson uh, that you have to run your race. There is this temptation to be, to be, uh, uh, to be drawn in by your surroundings, to be influenced by those who are to the left and to the right of you. I, I, I never ran the 400. I didn't, I didn't train for it, but, I, but I, I, there was something in me that knew that I couldn't sprint for 400 meters. But I let the pressure of having the state champion next to me get to my mind. What ended up happening was this was the way that it worked. It it was the guards had to finish the 400 meters in less than 52 seconds. 
And if you were a forward or a center, you had 60 seconds. If you didn't finish in the allotted time, then you had to be a waiter at breakfast. So guess who was a waiter that morning? Because I allowed myself to lose focus on what the goal was, the goal should have been to finish in less than 52 seconds. I turned and I made the goal about beating the guy next to me. And because I was so focused on beating the guy next to me, I wasn't able to accomplish the goal that was set before me. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen. And we have to be focused on the goal that is set before us. We can't be easily distracted by what's on the left and what's on the right. But God is calling us to run the race that he set before us. That's why you have to say, I'm running my race. My race isn't Bishop Geddes' race. My race isn't Elder Geddes' race. My race isn't Minister uh, Griffith's race. The race that, was the, that is set before me is the race that God has designed before the foundation of this world. He set it up so that I could be victorious. He set it up so that I could finish with joy. But we've got to run our race. So as I was, I was thinking about and praying about this message today, this whole this scripture in Hebrews was, was really just continuing to jump off of the page to me. Because it's talking about our Christian journey. You know, we, we want to make the analogy to, the, to our natural, but it's really about our spiritual walk with God. And it's a race that we signed up for the day that we decided that we were going to live for Jesus Christ. Young people, when you make it up in your mind, amen, that you are going to live for Jesus, you've entered into a race that you can't get out of. It's a race that once you sign up, amen, it's a race that lasts until you get to, you get to go and see your maker. It's a race that's going to last until you meet with the Lord, and if we're being honest, some of us wish that this wasn't the case. We wish it was a one-time decision. We wish it was coming to an altar and, 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 and accepting him as our Lord and Savior. We wish it was just a, a, a mental decision. We wish that it was something that we could do and that it, that it, that it would be equivalent to like a sprint where we get to the, to the finish line relatively quickly. But God is telling us that this is not a race that you can end quickly. This is not a sprint, but it's a marathon. It's one where your success is not defined by your speed. I think the young lady was talking about it, but it's, it's, a, it's a race that's defined by your consistency. It's a race that's defined by your endurance. It's a race that's defined by your ability to persevere through difficulties. Praise the Lord. And we've got to come to this thing with the proper mindset, with the proper perspective there so that we can finish the race that the Lord has set before us. Amen. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So I went and I started to do a little bit of research because I'm not a runner. And if I knew Sister Odom was, I might have, I might have asked her some questions. But, but I went and I began to do some research about what it was that made um, uh, certain marathon runners successful uh, versus others. 
And uh, there was a survey that was done, and there was a panel of experts that were, that were asked a, a bunch of questions, and they, they began to talk about the things that made uh, certain runners more successful than others. And, I, and there was one thing that jumped out to me as an overwhelming theme in all of their answers, and it was that they all mentioned this thing called mental fortitude. Amen. Mental fortitude is, is a collection of attributes that allow a person to persevere through difficult circumstances and emerge without losing confidence. Amen. And, and so the, the, the whole idea is that when you're running this marathon, she said around the eighth mile, she would begin to feel like she can't go any further. Your body begins to respond in ways to tell you to go ahead and shut it down. But, but those runners who have a certain level of mental fortitude, a certain level of mental toughness, they can push their body beyond their physical limitations and they can endure to the end. Mental fortitude is it, it's, it's, it's this thing that allows you to, to push when the circumstances are stacked against you. It's this, it's this ability to push through pain. It's this ability to push through sickness and disease. It's, it's this ability to keep on believing when everybody else has given up on you. You've got to have mental fortitude in order to endure to the end. But I'm recognizing something as I get a little bit older that mental fortitude isn't that common anymore. You'll look around and you'll recognize that this generation and the generation that's coming up is more gifted than any other generation that's come before us. They've got more information at their disposal. They've, they've, got, they've got an anointing like, like never before. But, but there's something, amen, that the enemy is trying to steal from the next generation. And it's this ability to push through adversity. This, this, this the ability to make up your mind that nothing that comes against me is going to stop me from accomplishing the goals that I've set. There's something that the enemy is trying to steal from you and from me and from the next generation that we've got to be aware of. We're teaching the next generation how to be weak in their minds. We're teaching them. Look at competitive sports. My son is six years old. He plays basketball. And, and I tell him now, they don't keep score. Everybody's a winner. But at the end of the game, I say, you lost or you won. You either played well or you didn't. You either hustled or you didn't. I want him to know that, 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 that life is not always going to be handed to him, that life is not always going to be given to him, that, that victories don't come easy, but, but you have to work in order to win. But you look around and you see all the sports programs giving out participation uh, 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 trophies, and everybody feels like they're a winner. And what they're doing is they're robbing that generation of what it is to fight for something that you want. Hallelujah. There's nothing more priceless than losing and going back to your house and saying, what is it that I have to do to make sure I win the next time? 
getting in your getting in the basement and bring, and taking out the basketball and going ahead and going through the drills and going through the motions and talking to yourself saying you know what I didn't win this time but wait till I get on the court the next time victory is mine victory is mine there's something hallelujah that the enemy is trying to take from you it's this ability to persevere it's the ability to push it's the ability to fight for what you, be- what you believe is yours. Hallelujah. And that's what I come to talk to you about today. Hallelujah. That's what I've come to encourage you about today. It, it doesn't matter, hallelujah, how many times you fall. It, de- it matters how many times you get back up. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how many times, uh, hallelujah, you, you, you try. As long as you keep on getting up uh, and keep on trying uh, and keep on pressing uh, and keep on trying to get better, you've got to persevere in order to get where God wants you to be. But every once in a while, we have to do what I call a gut check. Where somebody calls you out. Says, look it, I see that you're gifted. I see that you're anointed. I know you think you got it going on, but there's this area that I'm, 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 I, I have identified. There's this area in your, in your life that's going to be problematic if we don't address it. So, so that's what I, I come to do is I want to address something that's problematic. So what are some of the signs of somebody who lacks mental fortitude? As I read these, and if, if it applies to you, you don't have to raise your hand. If you want, you can say amen. I know they say amen or ouch, because it may hurt a little bit. But, but a sign of somebody who, who, who lacks mental fortitude is somebody who quits easily, who gives up too quickly. When things don't go their way, they say, you know what, it's easier for me to find something else to do. I want to play the piano. But when I sit down, it, it, it doesn't come natural to me. So you know what? I'm going to go and try the drums. And I'm going to sit on the drums. And, and when the drums don't, get, they don't come natural to me, I'm going to go ahead and say I want to play the guitar. And when the guitar doesn't come natural, you say I want to play basketball. There's a, there's a mindset that gives up before you've really given the effort needed in order to get good at anything. So one is you quit easily. Amen. The second one is you whine and you complain. Anybody know a whiner or a complainer? If they're sitting next to you, don't look at them. Amen. You can tap them. I know it's you. I know it's you. I know it's you, brother. I know it's you, brother. I know you don't complain. But, but I know there are some people in here that find themselves whining and complaining. Take it. It's, it's, it's a thermometer. It's letting you know that you're not where you need to be. Those who procrastinate and are lazy. Those who have consistent emotional breakdowns. This one really gets me. Those who are quick to blame others. You know that type of person, right? They don't ever do anything wrong. It's always because somebody else did something else that caused me to do what I did.
You know, that person who's always blaming your brother or your sister your, or, 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 or one of the elders in the church because they didn't do it the way that they thought it should be done. There's those people who are always blaming other people. Mm. I knew it was going to be quiet. But you know what? I love it when it's quiet because what it tells me is that you're thinking about your life. You're thinking about whether these things apply to you. Young men, young ladies, uh, older young men and older young ladies. It, 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 it doesn't escape anybody in the room because we're all trying to get better. We're all trying to build. We're all trying to add on to what we already have. But sometimes we have to take a step back and look at where we currently are. And it's not to condemn you but it's to make you aware so that you can do something about it. A lot of times you think that correction is, because, is to make you feel bad or correction is there to make you feel condemned, but it's not. It's really to course correct because God wants you to, to avoid some stumbling blocks along the way. As you, as you run your race, there's going to be some adversity. There's going to be some temptation. There's going to be some things that try to throw you off track. And God is saying, I'm trying to give you the tools to sidestep when those things come and sidestep when those things come. God is asking these questions to help us understand that we have limitations because we're, because we're man, because we're human, we're not perfect. We are going to fall short of the glory of God. There's no way around it, but there's, there's a mentality that we can have in order to make sure that we get up the right way. And as I was reading, and as you read through even Hebrews 11 and 12, there's these Jewish Christians that are struggling with the same thing. And Hebrews was addressing them because they were wondering if they made the right decision. They were wondering if they, had, uh, they, they made the right call in their life, if they were doing the things that they were supposed to be doing. They knew they had family traditions uh, against them. They knew uh, that there were things that, that were actively working against their decision. They began to have seeds of doubt, and the scriptures began to exhort them to hold on to their faith to exercise fortitude, courage, that stick, that, 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 that thing that just says, you know what, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to hold on. He's saying, I want you to hold on to this thing in the face of your adversity. And God gave me three points. And I don't know if I'll get to all three of them today, but we'll do our best to help you along your race. Praise God. Somebody say, somebody say the first point is keep your focus. Keep your focus. I gave you the example of me running the 400, but we live in a world where comparisons have easily become the norm. If we're being honest, some of us came in here comparing ourselves to one another, looking at what other people were wearing, looking at you know, what kind of shoes somebody might have been wearing or what kind of suit they were wearing or what kind of tie and whether was that tie better than my tie or is she more fashionable than I am? But if we're really being honest, there are very few things in this world that don't get compared. We've been trained to live a life of comparison. Who makes more money? Who's got the biggest house? 
who's the most fashionable? I know those are, those are worldly things. Those are natural, but it doesn't stop there. Who's got the most anointing? Who's the best preacher? Who can pray the house down? Hallelujah. We begin. Who's got the best shout? I saw Elder Geddes up here shouting, and I was looking, and I was like, man, if I could just move my feet like that. I was comparing myself to, to my brother here, and, and God is saying, I don't want you to get in the habit of comparing yourself. I want you to focus on what you do well. I want you to focus on the things that I've gifted you with. I, I want you to focus on, on the, the purpose for which I've called you, praise God. And if we're not careful, we'll allow this type of behavior to change our focus and cause us to go down the wrong path. We'll find ourselves comparing ourselves to our brother, trying to live life the way that they do it when God didn't call you to live the way that they do. John chapter 21, it was a really interesting uh, uh, sequence of scripture for me because uh, Peter's having a conversation with Jesus. And you guys know it. He's like, Peter, uh, Simon, Simon, do you love me? He goes, yeah, of course I love you. He asks him again, Simon, Simon, do you love me? He goes, yeah, I love you, Lord. And he asks him again. And, and Simon's getting frustrated. And then Jesus begins to talk to him about, about his life and said, you know, you had it easy when you were younger, but, but here is what's going to happen as you get older. You're not going to have the strength that you used to have. This is how you're going to die. This is, these are the things that are going to happen to you in your adult age. And what did Peter do? He looked around and he saw John and he said, Jesus, well, what about him? What about John? What's going to happen to him? Rather than focusing in on what Jesus was telling him about his life, he wanted to know what was going to happen to his brother. And Jesus responded and said, why does it matter? What does what is, what is his future have anything to do with yours? Why don't you just focus on me? And he goes and says, follow me. Follow me. It doesn't matter what I do with John. I'm asking you to follow me. It doesn't matter what I do with your brother. I'm asking you to follow me. It doesn't matter what happens in their life. I'm asking you to follow me. Peter wanted to know what's going to happen. Why is his life going to be easier than mine? Why do I have to die the way that I'm going to die? And he gets to live the way that he gets to live. Jesus said, that's none of your business. Stop focusing on the things that don't matter to you. That aren't going to change the direction of your life. That aren't going to change whether or not you run your race well. Leave John alone. And do what I've called you to do. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. It makes me think of the scripture where it says, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It doesn't matter, hallelujah, what your neighbor says. It doesn't matter what your brother says. It doesn't matter what your classmate says. It's about what the author and the finisher says. It's about what Jesus said. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. I hear somebody say, well, that's just not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. 
it's not fair. Why do some people get it easy? Why do some people get to live the way they do? It's just not fair. It's just not fair. Where in the Bible does it say that God is fair? The Jesus that I read about is not fair. Jesus I read about chose 12 men out of how many? What's so fair about that? What made those 12 so special? If we're not, so if we weren't, if we weren't uh, careful, we would say, well, what about them? What about them? I want to live like them. I want to do what they do. What about the man by the pool of Bethesda? 38 years he's there. And Jesus walks down there and he walks by how many people who are sick? He's walking by all these lame people, all these people who are there looking for a healing. And he walks to one particular man and says, will you be made whole? What's so fair about that? But Jesus isn't about being fair. Jesus is about being just. Jesus knows exactly what's needed for each and every one of us. Hallelujah. And when we begin to put our eyes on him, when we put our faith in him, it's not about fairness. It's not about my brother or my sister. It's about what God has for me. It's about the promises that he's made over my life. It's about the promises he's made over my family. So the first one. Keep your focus on the author and the finisher, the one who's in control. My second point is that we have to realistically prepare for our future. This one is a lot harder than you think because we have a tendency to romanticize our process for getting to where God wants us to be. We always think about the final product and how amazing it's going to be. Those people who desire to be a doctor, you think about what it's like to put on the white coat and to put on your, 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 your badge and to walk into the hospital knowing that they have to call you doctor and that your paycheck is going to look all right. But oftentimes we overlook what it takes to get there. How many uh, sleepless nights you have to stay up studying and how many times that you have to say no when your friends want to go and hang out and you have to open up the book and begin to study. We often romanticize and we skip over the process and we think we're going to just jump to the end. But God is saying, as you run this race, you have to be realistic in what you're going to go through. Paul said it, I know how to abase and I know how to abound. I know how to walk through the valley and I know how to stand on the mountaintop. We've got to be realistic that, that in this race, we are going to have ups and we are going to have downs. But we can make it up in our mind that there are some non-negotiables. I think of Joseph. Because Joseph had a dream. He knew he was going to be something. He knew oh, uh, his family was going to bow down to him. He knew that he was going to be in a position of authority, but he didn't know what it was going to take in order for him to get there. He didn't know that it was going to take his brothers plotting to kill him. He didn't know it was going to take being sold into slavery. He didn't know he was going to get uh, lied upon by, by Potiphar's wife and thrown into the prison. He didn't know all that he was going to have to go through, but he did make up his mind. Because when Potiphar's wife tried to sleep with him, he said, no, I won't sin against God. 
Young people, I know you're not shouting, but I want you to hear this. Recognize you are going to go through ups and you are going to go through downs. But you have an opportunity to make it up in your mind right now that there are some things that I just won't go for. I can, I can make it up in my mind that there are some convictions that I have that aren't going to change based on my circumstance, are not going to change based on who I'm around, but I'm going to fix it in my mind that there are some things that are non-negotiable in my walk with God. So when that lady says, hey, can I come over to your house because I want to do homework, you already have to have it made up in your mind. Mm-mm. I'll meet you at the library. I'm going to bring one of my brothers with me and we can do a group study. There are some things that you have to have in you before you get presented with the situation. There are some things that you have to make up in your mind before you're in the, in, in the, in, in the moment of temptation. But we have to be realistic. Don't think the enemy's not coming for you. He is. But we, we can be aware and we can prepare ourselves. So somebody say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to realistically prepare for my future. And my last point is we need faith fortitude. Somebody say faith fortitude. We talked about mental fortitude. But we need faith fortitude. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hebrews 12 says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. What the scripture is telling us is that, 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 that there are a lot of people who went before you, who held on, who, who, who obtained a good report because of their faith. Chapter 11 goes through and it details all of the champions of faith. It's your, uh, your faith hall of fame. And he, it goes on to tell you about Noah and says, by faith, he built an ark, even though it had never rained. Abraham, by faith, offered up Isaac, which was the promise. Moses, by faith, was hidden, even at the, the, the disobedience of the king's decree, because they knew there was a calling upon his life. Jericho, by faith, fell just by the people marching around and giving God praise. And what God was saying is this generation that's coming, they need faith fortitude. Faith fortitude. It's that thing that kicks in when, when, when your natural limitate, when you bump up against your natural limitations, when you hit up against that wall where you no longer, no, when you know it's no longer logical, right? When Noah was like, hey, it's never rained, but you're telling me to build this ark. It's not logical, but, but I'm going to do it in faith. When you begin to, to come against things that are no longer logical in your mind, no longer make sense, though, when you begin to bump up against your natural limitations, that's when faith has to step in. That's when you need to hold on to the word that God spoke over your life. That's when you need to hold on to the thing that God has promised you. Faith fortitude is the ability to believe when the circumstances are stacked against you. 
Faith fortitude is the ability to believe God in the, in the face of the doctor's report. Faith fortitude is to continue to believe in the God that you serve, even when your circumstances don't look like what, they, what, what God promised you. It brings to context the scripture that we read in Luke. But the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you and to sift you as wheat. But I pray for you that your faith fail not. When I was praying, God said, there are some people in here that are, that, that, that are beginning to feel weary in their walk. There are some people, some young people who are starting to have seeds of doubt. But you have to know that there are people who are praying for you, that your faith wouldn't fail. Hallelujah. Peter wasn't perfect. Peter, Peter was up and down. His relationship with, with God is, is like nothing else. But, but there was something that kept him there. There was something that kept him believing. There was something that kept him coming back to the Lord. And I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care what it is that you've experienced. I don't care how you've fallen in the past. I'm telling you that there are people that are praying for you that your faith wouldn't fail that you would persevere, that you would begin to push, that you would begin to fight back, that you wouldn't lay down and let the enemy beat you down all the days of your life. You were meant to be a doormat, but you were meant to stand up and proclaim the goodness of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I decided a long time ago that no matter what it looks like, no matter what they say, no matter what it looks like, no matter what's going on, no matter what the enemy's whispering, I've made it up. I'm following the Lord. I'm not turning back. My mind's made up. Nothing will move me. And I believe that's what God wants some young person to make up in their mind today. My mind is made up. Like Paul said, none of these things move me. I know I'm going to, to go and do a work. I know I'm going to be persecuted. I know I'm going to come against some things. But let me tell you something. None of that moves me because I know that I know that I know, hallelujah, that the Lord is on my side. Young person, know that God is on your side, that he didn't leave you nor forsake you, that he never turned his back on you, that he never walked away from you, he never stopped loving you, that he's still there with open arms saying, come on to me, hallelujah, come on to me, come on to me, hallelujah. I want to take your yoke, I want to take that heavy burden, I want to take it away from you. So you could take on my yoke and you could take on my burden and you can run the race that I've called you to. Somebody say, I'm going to run my race. I'm going to run my race. Somebody said, I've got faith fortitude. Go ahead and clap your hands to the Lord one more time. Come on, come on. We can put our hands together for the word of